Creative Sandbox Way Podcast, Episode 148. Hello, I am Melissa Dinwiddie, creativity instigator and author of The Creative Sandbox Way, here to explore and investigate anything and everything having to do with transformation through play and how creativity and play can help you live a more full-color life and be a better leader in all areas of your life. This episode is sponsored by the 6th Annual Create and Incubate Retreat, September 12th through 16th, 2018. Give space to your art for five days with me and walk away transformed. That is what happens at Create and Incubate Retreat. And lots of laughter. (laughs) It's basically like living inside a hug for five days. It's a small retreat, only 12 people total, including me. And most of those spots were snapped up by returning alums. So as of right now, there are only a few spots left. Early bird pricing and installment plans are available. And you can see what past retreatants have to say about their experience. And come join us over at createandincubateretreat.com. That's create and incubate retreat.com. And I would love to see you there. So I am doing something really different today. I've got a panel of three creatives who incorporate visual communication in their work. Kelly Kingman, Julie Gieseke, and Steph Brown. Each work with people, groups, organizations using creative engagement methods, which they will each talk about momentarily. And one of those methods that they have in common is visual facilitation or graphic recording or some variation of that. So I'm going to share a little bit about each one of them and then let each of them talk. So Kelly Kingman is a professional graphic recorder and visual literacy educator. Kelly has worked with Fortune 500 companies, supporting everything from ideation sessions to executive leadership retreats. She has live drawn the ideas of great thinkers such as Dan Pink, Seth Godin, and Malcolm Gladwell, and taught visual thinking skills at MIT Sloan School of Management's annual Innovation Week. Hi. Welcome, Kelly. (laughs) I'm blushing. (laughs) Thanks for having me, though. I'm so delighted to have you. And Julie Kiesecke works with organizations, bringing the tools of visual facilitation and creative engagement to bring strategy and tactics into clear focus. Julie coaches individuals to hone their leadership vision and purpose through deep engagement with their core values, strengths, and inherent creativity. She uses a range of tools and methods that tap into the client's natural creative resources. In addition, she incorporates change methodologies such as appreciative inquiry, positive psychology, strengths finder, and neurolinguistics. She works with clients from the initial stages of concept and challenge to design processes that facilitate change and sustain growth. Her clients include corporate, nonprofit, higher education, and one-on-one consultation. Welcome, Julie. Thank you. Great to have you. Glad to be here. And rounding out our trio is Steph Brown, who has worked for 15 years in the performance improvement sector, introducing graphic facilitation and collaboration design to government executives and teams from the White House to the grassroots of change. Both visual artist and facilitator, Steph supports organizations by designing experiences that optimize the power of people in conversation together. This can range from live hand-drawn murals to document collective memories, to facilitating and hosting conversation cafes to build organizational understanding, to leading design innovation sprints that transform ideas into action. Welcome, Steph. Happy to be here. So glad to have you. And if you guys can hear that noisy sound that I am hearing, I apologize. That is the sound of tiles being sawn right outside my door. So sorry about that. 
Anyway, welcome all three of you. I am so delighted to have you here. I'm really interested in the variety of ways that visuals can be used for communication and how each of you use visual thinking, visual communication in your work. But first, I want to know how you got started doing what you're doing and a little bit more about what you actually do. So given that we have a very short time together, let's try to keep this to like nutshell, a Reader's Digest condensed version. So uh, let's start with Kelly. Oh boy. Um, sure. I, so I do graphic recording or visual note taking primarily in my business. And we will probably hear as we unfold this podcast, how that differs from other processes and, and things. But um, it actually stems, it's kind of funny because like once I found that it was something I could do, I realized how I'd been incidentally doing it kind of since I was very young. I, would, um, I was discouraged from drawing early on. So I did a lot of doodling around my notes uh, <laughs> at a young age. And so when I found out that that was actually a kind of a profession, it was sort of like, oh, I've actually been doing some kind of version of visual note-taking since I was probably 10. Um, and so I happened upon this field, um, I guess it was probably, I became aware of it like seven or eight years ago, and I had the opportunity to apprentice with a company that was doing this for a lot of different kinds of clients. And I found that my, um, I just love, distilling all of this complex information into simple visuals. And I found it really effective for um, my own learning processes and, and thinking processes. And then also to be able to reflect that back to a group in more in like an event or meeting setting was really, really satisfying and, and just brought together the verbal and visual parts of my mind. So um, that's essentially the arc. It was serendipitous, but also felt kind of faded and I've just, I've been loving doing it for about four or five years now. You do is you basically like stand at the front of a room and mm -hmm. as somebody is speaking or a is it usually one person or is it like, could be a group of people are speaking? It could be either. I, I like to say wherever, wherever people are talking, you know, I can be drawing something about it, but generally I work in um, more plenary sessions or conference settings where there's a main presenter or a panel um, sometimes it is a group discussion in a smaller setting and that I'm listening for themes and, and ideas to distill into a sort of visual summary. So that's why I like to call it visual note taking. I tend to not work um, as much in terms of designing the process that a group goes through. That would, is how I would, I would categorize more as facilitation. I'm more listening and reflecting. And I think we'll see, you know, as, as Julie and Steph describe what they do, that's, that's definitely different. I mean, you know, a lot of us do a blend of these things, but um, I, I feel most, you know, uh, comfortable in the listening and distilling phase and synthesizing for the group. Um, I have started to get into teaching workshops because I found it really liberating to understand how simple drawings could help me think and work better. And I find that a lot of people are really kind of hung up on not on on the idea of using drawing, and so I find that really satisfying to help people learn to do it for themselves. Basically, I want to put a pin in that because I mm -hmm. think that one of the things that I've been really diving into myself recently, and and that I want listeners to understand is that visual communication and visual thinking is not about art. Right. It's about ideas and expressing ideas, and it's not about creating a Picasso or a or a right. Rembrandt. It's about yeah. the the drawings don't have to be um, photographically real or anything like that. It's about uh, they can be stick figures. They can be right. like what you drew in yeah. kindergarten, and sure. as long as they're communicating an idea, they're a hundred percent effective. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. That's fun to talk about. We can get back to that. Cool. Awesome. Thank you. Thank sure. you, Kelly. Um, all right, Julie, let's, let's move to you and how, tell us a little bit more about what you are actually do and, and how you, how you got there. Okay. 
what I actually do, well, that's always up for debate. Um, <laughs> uh, I work in a variety of ways, but I uh, probably spend most of my time inside organizations and uh, business meeting settings, either facilitating or co-facilitating. I often partner with a consultant or a facilitator in designing a process. And then typically my role will be creating the visual synthesis or visual capture of that. Um, if I'm working alone, then sometimes I'm doing both of those roles. Um, and then I also coach people one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, most of that is done virtually, but if I have an opportunity to work with a client face-to-face, -face, then I will uh, love to start a session by creating a visual map of their desired state and uh, a path towards that, and then use that as uh, sort of a touch point over the course of our coaching engagement. Um, and then I do some straight, you know, graphic recording where um, it, there's presenters or a panel, as Kelly described. So a part of my whole mix is doing some of that kind of work as well. Um, and how I came to it was I was introduced to it through a teacher. I was taking a class at City College here in San Francisco. Uh, and I had a teacher who's particularly brilliant, in my opinion, who used graphic recording and a lot of other group process techniques like World Cafe and um, things like that as teaching tools. So I was uh, amazed with all of that, and it led to an interest in organization development. And I decided to get a master's in that. And um, I used graphic recording as a tool to help me build connections with people that I wanted to learn from and develop business relationships with. So that's sort of how my practice started was using that as a differentiator between me and anyone else who might be studying, you know, organization development or looking to get into consulting um, as a way for me to build relationships. So that's sort of the, that's my nutshell version, but I do have a 35 minute show that answers that question as well. So <laughs> if you want the longer version, you can find that on YouTube. <laughs> And can I just highly suggest that everybody see that because it is really just a true delight of uh, what Julie has out there is that show. I can second that for sure. <laughs> Thank you. That, that means a lot coming from my esteemed colleagues. <laughs> because Julie, you're a performer and how much do you bring your performance into, how much do you weave your performance into your work life? Well, I mean, uh, I think even before I ever got on stage and, you know, performed in that sense, I do think that the role of even just being in a room as a silent partner and a silent witness and reflector and, and capturing is in many ways a performance. Um, it certainly can feel that way because, you know, everyone's staring at you and waiting for you to do something. <laughs> so there are performative elements to it and things to consider in terms of what you are doing and how that impacts or contributes to the participants. So I think there is um, something to be learned from performance and improv, certainly, um, uh, that informs the way that we work. Um, but I really got into storytelling and performance as a way to become more easeful in my facilitation. So I, I felt I'm an introvert and I'm very much, more, you know, naturally a one-on-one -on -one person. And I found in the beginning when I started facilitating that I was a little bit stiff and robotic and I didn't have access to my sense of humor and my, you know, uh, some of my better personal qualities. Uh, so I decided that I would do some uh, onstage storytelling, which sounded like a nightmare, but I knew if I went through that, it would be much easier to ask people to go to breakouts and, you know, fill in a flip chart. Uh, and that was true. Uh, but I ended up discovering that I really like the storytelling and performance. So that's really cool. I'm, I'm curious, did you, I know Kelly had talked about how she'd always been into, you know, like doodling and things like that. Did you have a relationship with pens and paper when you were younger as well? I drew like all kids do until right around maybe seven or something when it started to be clear that there were certain other students in the class who were good drawers, which meant the rest of us weren't. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think like many people, I sort of disengaged from that creative expression and didn't draw until I was introduced to graphic recording. And frankly, that was the steepest part of the learning curve was getting over my own anxiety about, I don't know how to draw. Um, and so I have returned to it, but even I've been doing this work for almost 10 years now, and I would say only in the last couple of years have I developed a healthier relationship with my drawing. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, think I, I worked um, 
with a big chip on my shoulder about that for a long, long time. And, um, you know, compare and despair with my colleagues and feeling like everyone's really good and I'm not good. And I mean, not that that doesn't occur to me today, but I've learned to embrace my particular drawing style um, rather than wishing that it looked like uh, some of my colleagues uh, work. So thanks for sharing that. I think that's really important for people to hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Steph, tell us about what you actually do and how you got there. So you'll, you'll hear a lot of similarities in terms of, you know, how we got places and, and what we do. Um, I call myself a collaboration designer, a host, and a graphic facilitator. And those three things kind of describe many of the different ways in which I work. Um, I was working as a facilitator uh, within the federal government for many years before um, I saw graphic facilitation being done. And the way I was introduced to it was when I was back getting my master's in organization development. And uh, we had a learning weekend uh, that the students put on. And the students were leading a world cafe. Um, and I'm not sure you know, if that's something that you're Listeners have heard about the World Cafe as a dialogue process. And as a part of that process, there's a graphic facilitator that's typically involved that's recording a lot of the different insights and stories and sort of aha moments that come out of those World Cafe conversations um, and do the harvest. And so when I saw this, I was like, wow, that's what I can do. Um, I had really lost my uh, sort of passion within my work. as a facilitator, it just felt like it was all process. You know, there was a lot of, I was at the time working on a Lean Six, lean six Sigma process and uh, doing a lot of CMMI. And so it was just like structure and, you know, do it this way and do it that way. And there's a right and there's a wrong. And it just, um, I was just kind of sort of, my soul was withering up a little bit from not being creative enough. Uh, so when I was introduced to graphic facilitation, it was an immediate, that's something I can do. And that's a way to bring life into the work that I'm doing and also a way to bring a voice to the people I'm working with. Um, like others, I'd started, I had I'd gone to art school uh, when I first got out of high school uh, with a fine arts focusing in on uh, scientific illustration and, um, and sculpture. And none of my drawings today look like scientific illustrations or <laughs> any of that. So my cartoon images have, have uh, maybe been somewhat influenced by my understanding of drawing and techniques, but it's just something completely different than that fine arts experience. And part of that is because it's really about capturing the dialogue and the voices in the room. So a lot of the work that I had done um, in the federal government, there were a lot of, it was always these large group, you know, change processes. And there were a lot of people that feel like they weren't getting heard. So you start to have all these outsiders and insiders and people whose voice is getting captured in the meeting minutes and people who are sitting on the side going, why don't they ever listen to me? So I can't get off my soapbox and I can't move on because nobody's showing me that they're listening. So graphic facilitation became a really important thing for me to take back into organizations allow for people's voices to be heard and drawn in the way in which they were voicing their concerns, and then for that to become a part of the visual record. So that's why I oftentimes call them collective memories, uh, because the, the memory of the uh, situation is, is being recorded up into one large mural for everyone to see. And then when the leadership walks in the room and they see these collective memories, they can't help but see those statements that people have made. Now, I do admit I try to frame it in kind of a positive or or in a way that's not um, harsh, you know, in terms of what's being said, trying to find some of the optimism for the future in what people are saying um, so that the record can really stand and move forward and it doesn't become something that gets shelved because they don't want that negativity to be so brilliantly (laughs) described up there. So I try to find a way to make things really optimistically future focused. Um, So designing, I I also tend to be a large part of designing the events. And a part of that was because of the role that I played uh, as a, you know, full-time, you know, graphic facilitator, uh, facilitator and collaboration designer within the federal government. Um, I ran a practice, um, And the way in which my practice worked is that I would go in and work with teams within other agencies 
to then design how we would come together. And I would help them design how it might occur to really optimize the conversation and the dialogue. And then I would also perform, <laughs> use the word perform, perform as a graphic facilitator, capturing and drawing out the imagery after coaching somebody else on the team how to step into that facilitator role and be a co-facilitator with me. So there was a lot of, I think there's a lot of coaching and mentoring that I do as a part of the work because I want it to be sustainable. I know there's not a lot of other graphic facilitators that are going to be able to step into that role of drawing the pictures. But again, it doesn't, in the particular place where I was, I should say, there's many esteemed colleagues out there doing fantastic work. Um, it's just the place where I was in, there wasn't anybody else doing that type of work, but there were people doing collaboration style designs and how can we really bring the visual expression into that. So, um, so there's a whole lot more I'd love to say about that, but I don't want to um, fill up all the time talking about uh, the emotionality of, of the work that I, that I do. Um, well, I had a yeah. question. I had a question about that stuff. So when you say that the graphic um, facilitation or graphic, I'm not sure if it was a graphic facilitation or the graphic recording uh, was giving people voice. Is that because their actual voices were represented up in the, in the visuals that you were drawing? Is that what you mean by that? Yes. So in terms of uh, what I find as a graphic recorder, and I do make a distinction between recorder and facilitator. Um, a lot of times those terminologies get separated out. And sometimes I even stumble over myself because if I'm going into a conference, I'm doing recording. If I'm up there doing a harvest, I'm doing a bit more of a recording. If I'm engaged in asking people questions and being really interactive with people to clarify statements, I'm acting more as a facilitator. So sometimes I'm a recorder for the facilitator who, and having mm -hmm. a co-facilitator who really understands how to utilize someone with these visual practices is so important so that they don't just leave you over there drawing pictures, but rather they engage you. And it's that engagement, bringing it back to your question of hearing people's voices that I can share. This is what I've captured. This is uh, sort of a synthesis at a higher level that I'm seeing about uh, what's been shared. Can you please reflect back to me from the group? Is, is this accurate? Or would you like for me to change anything? I have a little bit of magic where I can mark out what has been drawn thus far and I can make sure it's representative of your voice. And sometimes I got it right on and they're like, yes, that's what we were trying to say. And sometimes they're like, nope, um, could you just take out that area? I want to I have it say exactly this. Um, I, don't want, I don't want it to look any prettier than it is. I want it to be this rough. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's what I'll do as well. Yeah, I could see how that would be incredibly powerful for people. If I can have one more thing on this, and this may be something that I would love to hear from um, my two colleagues here, is one of the ways in which I think graphic facilitation is so very important is as a conflict management um, tool. So in that sense that people have very strong opinions and their voices need to be heard and they can't step off of their soapbox until it gets heard. And if we can't step off our soapbox, we can't move forward together because we're all just standing on boxes. Uh, the, the graphic facilitation up on the wall becomes from that subjective personal emotion that I have against you for your particular belief. We're able to take that subject, make it object or thing up on the wall in the words and in the pictures. And then we're able to point at that thing rather than pointing at each other. And then after we've had the discussion and we've moved through some of the emotionality with the thing rather than each other, we can reintegrate and then decide how we're going to move together, together, how we're going to move forward together. And that to me is one of the um, most important roles that I see that I can help support, whether it's as my presence as a facilitator or the work that I do as a graphic facilitator. I'm seeing lots of nodding heads here in the video. <laughs> People listening in the podcast won't be able to see this, but there's lots of nodding heads. <laughs> so one of the things I'm curious about here is in your role i know that i know that the three of you do lots of different things not not just graphics but for the context of our conversation we are talking about the visual component what are some of the challenges that you deal with 
with regard to creating visuals or in general? Yeah, as okay. as a graphic recorder, graphic facilitator, visual communicator, visual storyteller, what are some of the challenges? Or maybe there's a story that you have where you encountered a challenge in the context of your work. Well, um, yeah, uh, Julie. What comes to mind for me is not, may not be in, in direct response to your question. It's not necessarily a challenge like uh, there was a situation and I had to come up with a solution for it, but it's something that I find challenging about being in, the, in a creative role, particularly in a business environment, um, is that so often people seem to, they appreciate the work and part of their appreciation or response to the work is often by um, what I would say uh, sort of like disclaiming their own creativity. Um, they'll be, oh my God, you're so creative. I can't even draw a straight line. Like I think every one of my colleagues has had someone say that to them probably at least 500 times <laughs> in in the course of, of their work. And I find it personally, you know, kind of painful. Um, I used to get more defensive about it because I felt like, whoa, no, I don't want to be the only person responsible for being creative here. It's a lot of pressure, right? Or, or um, some assumption about my ability to draw, which was more triggered when I had less confidence around that. So I was like, oh, no, they're going to ask me to draw a horse and I can't draw a horse. Um, but I think in, in terms of challenging, I find it challenging and um, I want to invite people into a space of creativity. And I feel like sometimes the role as graphic recorder, you're there with all your crazy colored pens and your giant piece of paper, which is so out of the box for most business environments that I feel like sometimes it creates a, I'm creating a barrier to people feeling their own empowerment about picking up a pen and drawing on the paper and um, in collaborative processes. Sometimes I feel like people feel intimidated. They're like, Oh no, well, let's have Julie do it. You know, or oh, it's not going to look as good as what Julie's going to do. And so I find that challenging and I, I want to find ways in which to have the work be present in the room as an invitation rather than as a exposition of like, here's something brilliant too bad. You can't do it too which sometimes I feel like it triggers that for people. Yeah, I can so totally see that. Steph, Kelly, do you, do you have that experience as well? Oh yeah. I, I totally echo that. In fact, when I teach workshops, I don't show samples of my work until, unless I'm explicitly asked because I do find that especially um, in a, in a odd way, I feel like, when I'm in a conference session that's less, it's less intimate and less of a small group, I'm a little protected because it's like, okay, it's a performance. You're the person who's drawing. Like I'm not in a situation where I'm asking people to draw themselves, but in, but I totally have experienced that in the smaller settings. Like um, if people are asked to mock up any ideas on their own, they'll often like try to get the graphic recorder to come over and do it for them. And it's like, it, you know, robs them of the participation of it. Um, to some extent. And so you have to kind of, um, I, I, I think for me, it just gives me a lot of compassion about how hung up we are about our creativity and drawing in particular, like around that age of seven, like a lot of us got really, really discouraged. And it's part of the reason I'm, I really love helping people kind of rediscover it. Um, but absolutely. Yeah. It kind of, it kind of turns out to be like, you're this rarefied person who is like doing the drawing and it's like the sacred act. Um, and it can, and it is so much more fun when everybody gets their hands dirty and everybody gets involved. So, so that's a bit of a line to walk. And I, yes, I've heard it 500 times. I can't draw a straight line or, um, yeah, uh, you got to watch Julie's show. There's all the lines in there about <laughs> like what people say about their own drawing skills. It's really sad. I'd say the other challenge is, um, uh, that's a big one. The there's, I'm sure there's a lot of challenges. I'm going to think of all the challenges right after we're done with this podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the one that came to my mind was when Stephanie was talking was like, um, the, I have a lot of respect. So I don't bill myself as a facilitator, but I, I have worked with enough facilitators. Now I'm often partnered with them that I have a real respect for really good ones. And the people who are really in tune with their groups that they're working with. And so it's this funny little like 
I don't come from an organizational development background or a consultative background, but now I've been in enough, I've eaten like enough of this dish to like know when it's not going well. And it's really hard to be in the scenarios where you're like, okay, I'm drawing this picture, but the tension is really high or we haven't successfully navigated the process or, or time is getting crunched or something like that. And so there's just like, you're, you are, you're listening to the actual words people say, but you're also really attuned to all the energy in the room to kind of know how to give things emphasis in your drawings. And that can be in some situations when it's um, either the facilitator is kind of less skilled or the group is just really in an intense place that can be very draining and, and hard to, um, yeah, just hard to deal with, I guess, you know, or especially if you're not in control of the process, like, you know, you're just reflecting and listening. And so you don't have necessarily the agency to be like, how about we try this? Or how about we all do something differently? But hopefully the, you know, that's where you can engage in a subtle way with the visuals, you know, some way to affect the process, or at least respect and honor what's going on in a real way. I'm envisioning it. <laughs> One of those, you know, huge white sheets of paper with like, this is going really badly. <laughs> right, right. Or just like a whole half of a wall of like that we didn't get to because there's some problem now and, you know, you got to just roll with it and it's fine. But I, but when I find people that I really like click with and whose style that I really like, I'm like, I want to work with them a lot because it, it's so much more satisfying. Anything that you wanted to add, Steph, to this thread? Yeah, the, the piece that I would add um, sort of goes back to where I started uh, when I first dove into graphic facilitation. And then what I, um, I run a meetup group in D.C., um, D.C. Graphic Facilitation Meetup. And, you know, there, one of the main things I talk with people about is building your visual library and how important practice is. This isn't something, you know, I just go and do once, you know, every other week or something and expect that my, um, that I'm fully engaged, ready to draw. I draw every day um, and I really encourage other people to draw as much as possible in terms of their doodling and uh, to really build a visual library. Uh, it's with that visual library because the greatest challenge to me as a graphic uh, recorder, graphic facilitator is hearing, making sure I stay in the listening and capturing what's being said versus being caught up in drawing a picture that could be a really cool picture of, you know, a dog driving a car down the road because they're talking about something that, that seemed like a fun image for it. Um, and all of a sudden the conversation is just lost because I'm caught up in my picture, which is going to look really fun. Um, I want to stay in the conversation. So I need that library so I can draw things more quickly and not be thinking about them so that I can stay on the seven or 10 different things that we're holding in our mind that we have to hold as we hear more things. And then suddenly, you know, 30 minutes later, we go and we write back down that thing that we heard a long time ago because we just haven't had a chance to get back to it yet to, to find the time. So the, the time that is happening is so fast uh, for the people speaking that I need to have as many different pictures already in my mind to draw from. Um, the other thing I want to say to this is uh, there, there's this really great uh, Richard Diebenkorn, who um, is, was a California artist. Uh, he, uh, when, after he passed away, they went into his studio. They found this handwritten uh, list of 10 things to consider when starting a painting. And it's really just search on Diebenkorn and 10 things and you'll find this list. And uh, the one that I oftentimes bring out the most in terms of the, the classes that I teach is um, this one. The pretty initial position which falls short of completeness is not to be valued except as a stimulus for further moves. So basically what I get from that is that that initial mark that I make, don't value, don't overvalue that initial mark, be willing to just be stimulated by it and to continue to grow and evolve um, in whatever that drawing may be. So when I, when I make a so-called mistake, I just see what can I turn this into? That's yeah. That reminds me of, uh, guidepost number seven of my 
creative sandbox way guidepost, which is take the riskier path, mm-hmm. which is, you know, we, we tend to get so stuck in, oh, it's not quite done, but I, I like it, but it's not quite done yet. And, and we get precious, right? So we put it on the shelf and we never finish it. So we have this warehouse, our homes become a warehouse of UFOs, right? A UFO warehouse, unfinished objects. And that doesn't do anybody any good, right? So my goal is to just finish things, just get them done. Even if, they, even if you ruin them, who cares? It's just a piece of paper, just a piece of canvas or whatever. Yeah. Just finish it. You can always paint it over, rip it up and turn it into something else, right? Take that riskier path. I love that quote from Diebenkorn. That's fantastic. Yeah, a lot of times people ask, um, or I'm, I'm assuming my other colleagues have gotten this question, what happens with these after you get finished drawing? And I'm like, well, I take a picture of it. And then oftentimes they just get crumpled up and thrown away. The picture becomes a record. And people are like, oh, this thing is being thrown away. How can you do that? And it's just a picture. Um, it's just a picture. Yeah, exactly. It's a really important picture, you know, for the conversation, but it is just a piece of paper and it's uh, just a platform for the conversation moving forward. Yeah. And I think that's a little bit different to points to the difference when, uh, between the kind of artistic expression and to me, how I see my role as a graphic recorder or sometimes facilitator, it's like, I feel like I'm a medium, like I'm trying to be faithful to a, a communication process. It's not my precious object that I'm creating on the wall. It's not my thing that I'm care if it, I mean, yeah, all of them are thrown away really. I mean, cause they're just too, too many to hold on to. And like, um, and I, but people see you draw on paper and expect it like for me to have some like relationship with it. Like it's my, precious object that I'm making and it's and I wonder if we can hold all of our creative projects a little lighter you know by practice just volume just like the more you make you know just like let you can let it go a little because like there's another one coming and like and that has I think for me the big one of the main major differences between when I started doing this work and I couldn't sleep the night before because you know it's one thing to just go for it and finish it. But then someone's paying you and people are watching you and it's like this whole thing. Um, and now I'm just like, you know, like it usually turns out pretty okay. <laughs> I have enough experience just from the volume of experiences to, to just be like a little looser with it, with the marks that I make and kind of like this improvisational feeling. I mean, yeah, there's plenty of times I look back and I'm like, Oh, I wish I could have done that a little better, strong, strengthen this a little more or something. You know, we all have critiques about our work, but, but that like journey of letting go of some of my perfectionism around it has, I think that seeps into other areas of my life. I think that's been one of the best side effects of, of just day in and day out. You got to show up and draw this stuff and see what happens, you know? Yeah. Well, what you said about the, the quantity, that's guidepost number three of mm. my creative sandbox way guidepost, <laughs> think quantity, not quality. Yeah. Because if you take care of the quantity, guess what? The quality yeah. is going to take care of itself. And I like to show examples of when I started because, because of repetition and the visual library that Steph mentioned and like just practice people never, they just see the product of right now. They don't see where you started. And right. I mentioned doodling, but I didn't actually like I didn't do a lot of cartooning or realistic drawing when I was in art school for half a second, I did like photography and like multimedia and I drawing was not something like that I pursued. It was just more of like lettering and shapes and stuff. Um, and so they, it's, it's important to just kind of, um, yeah, just remember that, practice is is no joke I mean nobody wants to hear that because like when you say, like well people just you just practice they're like yeah yeah I can't I still can't draw straight lines. so you know there's a lot of mental baggage there but um and emotional but it's 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 really really true I'm gonna say it again if you just practice it's like if you I tell people if you've been drawing simple figures and shapes for as long as you've been writing your alphabet you would be good at it so like it's just repetition so yeah, actually, that makes me think of what you said earlier, Steph, about creating a visual library. That made me remind me of when I started doing calligraphy, which is my background. I, I was a freelance calligrapher for, that's how I made my living for a number of years. And 
you know, when I started, I had to practice and practice and practice and practice to get it into my eye and my hand. You have to get it into both. You have Mm -hmm. to get the memory of the shapes of the letters of whatever alphabet your, your hand, you know, calligraphic style you're learning in order to transmit it into your hand. And, you know, now I have, so, you know, an infinite number of alphabets that I could do by memory, but I didn't have that when I first started. And you, you know, it's like, you have to get that into your head through practice. And it's, it is just practice, 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 practice. And the same thing with whatever icons, whatever, you know, human shapes or business icons or whatever you want to be able to have at your fingertips, you're going to have to practice those. So you have them in your head and you can transmit them into your fingers when you're up at a board, right? Same exact thing. It's just an, it's just a different alphabet that you have to learn. Yeah. It's similar. Can I, I just um, Please. say something to this conversation and in, in, in general, what I'm reminded of is a spectrum that I think in our field of visual practitioners, we often talk about between process and product. Mm-hmm. And what I'm noticing in this conversation and just reflecting for myself around the creative process, I think is for me personally more successful when I focus on the process end rather than the product. And I think this idea of practice, 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 and you're talking about the calligraphy and all of that is, is good in terms of developing a skill set in order to do work, but I think is in some ways um, an entirely, it's an entirely different thing than being uh, creative. And I think that oftentimes in, in our work, we're seen as creatives because we're doing something that looks creative and it looks like art and there's color and all of that. But I, um, I think I in particular love doing process painting or intuitive painting workshops where you're, where, and, and the real difficult and challenging practice that I see many people struggling with in intuitive painting is to stay present to whatever's wanting to come forward and really trying to keep at bay the judging mind that's like, well, a flower doesn't look like that. And I think that that's what many of us struggle with, um, with drawing and, or any creative, as a writer, um, you know, there's a really great essay by Ann Patchett um, about writing in which she talks about the sort of uh, painful process of taking something that's in our imagination uh, and kind of then pinning it down onto a piece of paper that can only ever, can never measure up to the beauty of what we imagine in our minds. And it's same with drawing. As soon as you put a mark on the paper, it immediately becomes something to point to that could never possibly uh, live up to the idea that we had in our head. And I think that um, all our, our work is, in my opinion, our work as visual recorders and visual facilitators is, is living in both of those spaces. Because it isn't just about having a really strong skill set. There are many really brilliant illustrators who would struggle to do the work that we do. And there are many people who are not, quote unquote, good drawers who are really exceptional uh, contributors in in the field uh, that we do. So you're constantly kind of not only internally moving between those spaces, but also clarity around what your role is. Because some clients really want you to create a product and some clients really need you to be facilitating and helping the process. So I'm just wanted to kind of toss that out there. It's a, um, the personal aspect of process and product and where I hold myself in my own creative um, approach is something that hadn't really occurred to me until this conversation. So thank mm-hmm. you for, for having me think about that. You guys. Mm-hmm. Well said. I love that you spoke up. My guidepost number two is think process, not product. So you are totally speaking my language. And my personal uh, favorite way to create is purely improvisationally. I'm an improviser, performance improviser. And my, my favorite way to, to create as a visual artist is, I guess, what you would call an intuitive painting or an intuitive drawing, purely improvisationally. And I love, I, I love what you were talking about, the... the there's such an intersection there between the process and the product with, with what 
what you do as visual communicators, um, there was a term that you used right at, right up front, and now I'm blanking on what it was, but um, whatever. Anyway, so, uh, as you were saying, some clients are going to be more interested in the in the product, and some clients are going to be more interested in the product. But we always have to navigate our own relationship between the two of them. And the important thing is to not let the focus on the outcome get us stuck, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Steph, did you have something that you wanted to add? Gosh, there's been so many wonderful pieces here where I'm like, yes, I, I want to share a story there. Um, the one I think I want to sort of move into is, you know, picking up on this idea of intuition and um, improvisation. Um, because I think improv, really in many ways, we are improvisers and, and very much in what we do. Uh, I very rarely have an, an idea of where something might be going. Um, maybe my very first uh, welcome chart I've got pre-planned, but after that, it's usually pretty, pretty open to whatever happens. And part of what really influences that is listening to the texture of the conversation that's happening and finding, um, as I often reference it, as a shape of the conversation as it's starting to emerge. And so the image that I draw, um, the way in which I capture, I want it to be reflective of the feeling, the emotionality, that presence of the room and the conversation that's been taking place. And what are the little subtle ways that I can add that into it? And it may be by, you know, certain types of drawings, it could be certain types of ways of capturing the words, Uh, it could be color, um, and it can also just literally be the shape of how things sort of flow and connect on that particular chart. Um, But for me, I oftentimes will have a central image that kind of flows across so that I can then just add in the the different points and um, pivot points and information that come about it. And what I'm looking for when people start talking is what's that texture? What's that intuition of what that shape needs to be to reflect this particular conversation? And it very much is about sensing intuitively into the space and being fully aware and being fully in presence as a facilitator. So stepping up to the wall to draw whatever that wall may be, whether it's foam board, uh, whiteboard, whatever it may be, but stepping up to the wall has a little bit of a ritual to me of how do I really bring myself fully into presence to then be a conduit for the conversation that's taking place. And um, I need to be in my best calm so that I can feel what's happening in the room. Mm, I love that. Well, um, we are running short of time, so I want to move on to our something cools. But before we do that, one thing that I wanted to share with listeners is, I know there's probably a lot of people out there who are listening who are thinking, okay, yeah, you guys are saying that maybe this drawing thing is for everybody. I'm not sure that I really buy that. But and, and I don't think of myself as a drawer because my drawing style is very abstract. I don't, uh, I, I love, kinda, your, doodles. I yeah, love my, your doodles, Melissa. I love them. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I, I love my doodles too. And they're totally abstract. And the idea of drawing ideas, drawing, you know, people or icons, you know, I, iconographic representing representational drawing is something that I did uh, when I was taking doing art on commission but I did kind of reluctantly because I never felt confident about it my clients were always happy with it but I I didn't feel particularly confident about it so this is kind of a new world for me that I've been exploring this whole graphic facilitation-y kind of world um, that I've been exploring, but where I've been having a lot of fun with it is when I go to conferences in my private, you know, journal, my notebook. And, and, you know, there are all these books out there like Mike Rhodes or Mike Rhodes, um, sketchbook, sketch note handbook, sketch. Thank you. Sketch note (laughs) handbook, which I'll, I'll have a link to in the show notes. And, 
of course the the pages in there are amazingly gorgeous and i you know wouldn't even pretend to you know try to be nearly as beautiful as that or anything but adding doodles to my notes has been has been a, a game changer for me because my chicken scratch doodles make me think differently as I'm taking my notes. They're more, it's more engaging and interesting for me to take my notes. I actually look at my notes again instead of never opening my notebook to look at my notes again. I remember the lecture or the whatever it is, the speech. I remember taking the notes. I have more fun taking the notes and the whole experience is more engaging and more memorable because, you know, I'm drawing and I'm using more of my brain and stuff. Discuss. <laughs> well, I just want to say what a great plug for uh, all of you organizations and project managers out there to hear one of the great values of bringing in a graphic facilitator yeah. to support your next engagement. Um, what you just described in terms of the uh, memory being embedded into and the feelings being embedded into the mural is part of what we do. Amen. <laughs> All right. So um, that will be our discussion portion of that. <laughs> but I would, I would encourage everyone. I want to hear, I want to hear Julie Kelly. <laughs> Well, I'm always trying to get just really quickly. I'm always trying to sell myself out of the job, out of a job, because I feel like I get the most benefit from anything I'm listening to because I am physically doing the drawing. And I, if I had a magic wand, I would have sketch note training like required for anyone anywhere, like from starting in schools, preferably, yes. but definitely in the workplace because also you're not looking at your phone also you're learning what the unsung hero of what we all do is the listening skills and when you're listening yep. and synthesizing it doesn't even matter what you're drawing as long as you're doing that brain work to like crunch it together and come up with something right that's a way more active participation than just trying to sit and listen so um yes amen to that and everybody try it and representational perfection is overrated. Just draw some stick figures. Yeah. <laughs> Did you want to add anything, Julie? Um, well, yeah, I would, I would agree. I mean, my, I remember in college, you know, cramming for exams by going over and over and over my outline notes that I had learned how to do in elementary school, you know, ABC, <laughs> one, two, three. And then I would be taking the test and there's a sort of sense of urgency of like, got to get it all down before you lose it. And inevitably I would come to a question and I'd be like, oh, I remember I was on the top right corner of that third page, but I couldn't, you know, I, I knew where it was on the page, but in my memory, I couldn't then see the words on the page. And I think that if I had had some visual there, uh, because I'm remembering what the page looked like, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, writing is a it, it is a language is a tertiary experience. It, it's three steps removed from how we take in information as humans, and so um, it's a lot of work, a lot of brain processing to get it to that point. And so I think the visuals um, at least eliminate one step in that process and, and help facilitate uh, the memory of of what it is that you're taking in. Yeah. And, and like Kelly was saying, the, the work that you do to synthesize the information to figure out how you're going to make your little chicken scratch doodle mm -hmm. on your page, because everyone's going to figure out a different way to create their little chicken scratch doodle, or some people are going to make a much more pretty doodle than I will. Um, but whatever it is, you have to figure out what you're going to draw as your representational doodle on your page that gets your brain working and synthesizing. And that's where the power is. Mm -hmm. It's incredible. So try it, just try it. You don't have to show your page to anybody. Just try it and see, see what it does for you and how it feels. That's, that's my pitch. <laughs> All right. So let's move on to something cool. I know each of you brought a something cool, hopefully. And let's start with Steph. What is your something cool? My something cool is something called angel cards and angel cards. There's about 120 little individual cards, very small, like literally I can carry these around in my purse and 
each one of these little cards, which is about the size of your thumb, has a word on it. And the one that I just pulled out right now is intention. And so there's a lot of different ways in which uh, I've engaged people or, um, or this was offered to me as a conversational tool. Um, the place where I have them sitting is on the kitchen table. Um, and I will take them home for Christmas. I've taken them home for Thanksgiving because when I pull, when, when the conversation can be rough or we're feeling that there's a lot of differences, put the angel cards out there, ask somebody, everybody around the table to pull a card and then to describe in some way or tell a story around what this word means for them, um, based on the question you ask. So it could be what is alive for you right now with the word intention or, you know, tell me a story about the word you pulled, which was peace. Uh, so there's just so many different ways you can, you can use them so creatively uh, to help support conversation. Um, and then also just to play a little bit. There's now, I just learned in going back to get you a link for these. I learned that there's an app for the angel cards. So literally every morning you can wake up, uh, find out what your word of the day is, do a meditation around it, whatever it may be. There, you, the imagination is endless in terms of how you can use just these little words to uh, spark conversation across our differences. That's great. Thank you so much. Very cool. And how about Julie? What's your something cool? Well, I just figured out my something super cool um, because every time I'm ever asked to uh, you know, come up with a thing, my mind is blank. So uh, just in the last 30 seconds, I came up with the most brilliant, uh, super cool thing. <laughs> person. It's not even just a something cool. It's just something super cool. It's super, she is super cool. <laughs> Linda Berry. Um, I would have to. I love Linda Berry. <laughs> I took a workshop with her uh, last summer and I'm going to take it again this summer, but there's so much, uh, I think if I had to narrow it down besides just Linda Berry in general would be her book syllabus, because I think in there are so many great approaches to raw writing and drawing and how drawing accesses information for us in ways that are different than if we just sit down and start thinking about it. And she in particular, I mean, her as a cartoonist, she's got a little bit of a wacky style um, and she really appreciates as a, as a teacher, um, the really sort of, um, raw, uh, expression of, um, people's beginning drawings. Mm. And I, I know, uh, in particular when she teaches at university of Wisconsin, she curates her class and, because she wants to have a whole range of people. And in particular, she doesn't want to end up with a class full of a bunch of people that are illustrators and drawers. And I definitely saw that value underlined in taking this workshop uh, with her this last summer. But I think that there's a tremendous amount of wisdom that she has to offer um, around approaches to drawing and getting engaged with that and really celebrating um, your own uh, style and what comes out when you sort of force yourself to do a bunch of stuff really quickly and roughly. And um, so I think she is absolutely in alignment um, with the things that we've been talking about on this, on this podcast. So Linda Berry is my something cool. Woo! I love it. Thank you. Fantastic. And Kelly, what about you? Well, yeah, Julie got like triple amens for that one. That was, uh, yeah, the, the thumbs up and the nodding. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, yeah, I know. I saw you took her workshop and I was just like, oh my God, I'm so jealous. I know, we're so jealous. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, because I think it's the spirit, right? It's that spirit. So I am, um, I had some things in mind and I've changed now to something else. But um, this is uh, my new favorite game that I've, played now like twice. Um, have you guys heard of a game called Dixit? D-I-X-I-T? I've heard of it, but I don't oh, know what it is. so addictive. Okay. So it's actually sort of when Steph was talking about the angel cards sort of t spurring conversations. This is, this is an amazing game because basically you just have decks of vision, like all the cards. It's like apples to apples, but if all the cards were pictures and these kind of surreal illustrations. And so the object of the game is to kind of guess what the, the, the active player each turn has picked um, to, to, to just, so the, excuse me, 
the active player each round like says some kind of clue. So it could be a sound, it could be a phrase, it could be a word, it could be anything. And it can go some really interesting directions. And then you have this set of cards and you're like, okay, well, what would Melissa, uh, like which one of the pictures that I have would kind of maybe evoke something that matches her clue. So you're trying to get other people to guess your card, but you're also trying to figure out which card that the active person's picked. And so there are points and things, but the most interesting part of the game is just people being like, how does that card, that image mean, you know, the journey to you? Like, or, you know, people will come up with, it can be, it's very subjective as these things go. So it's really fun. And then there's a billion um, extension packs that different artists have done in different styles. And you could just make your own, really. Um, probably. And so um, it's cool because you could play it with all different ages and backgrounds. People who know each other well, people who don't. But I took it to um, Thanksgiving. We were having dinner with a friend and it was just like, it's just so fun to like, it's like seeing how people's brains work in this really associative way. And um, now it's my favorite thing. And I'm like trying to buy it for everybody for Christmas. And like, <laughs> take it everywhere because it's so much fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Julie. <laughs> Yeah, and it's it's like dream interpretation kind of, but in game form and yeah, so. It gets oh, it really, sounds amazing. It gets really interesting if anybody gives the clue of like a person's name. So like a card that would represent Kelly or Melissa, you know, like that can happen and then. Whoa. Yeah, right, exactly. So play with people you have a lot of trust with. <laughs> you know, I think, I think where I first heard it referenced was in the applied improv community. Oh, yeah. I could, yeah. I mean, it's like visual prompts, right? Like, so yeah. But then in this game format, so. Oh, it sounds, I'm going to have to buy that. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds really cool. <laughs> I love it. Yes. Well, my something cool this week is a book. It's a children's book called The Book of Mistakes Ooh. by Corinna Lucan. I think that's how you pronounce her name, L-U-Y-K-E-N. And I'm going to post a YouTube video that I found of a live read, read along that somebody made that goes through the entire book. It's, it's you know, it's a kid's book. It's it's like for ages four through eight, like um, preschool through third grade kind of thing. And it is beautiful. It starts out, one eye was bigger than the other. That was a mistake. That weird frog, cat, cow thing. It made an excellent bush. So it's this artist. And I mean, it's illustrations that an artist has made that the artist is thinking, Oh no, that's not good enough. And so every page is what the artist then does to huh. fix the mistake from the previous page. And so every page you're like, what's she going to do? What's she going to do to fix what, what she did before that she didn't like? The illustrations are gorgeous and interesting. And the, and Corinna Lucan is the artist illustrator. And it's this wonderful kind of, you know, metaphor for life that everything that is a mistake can be transformed into something wonderful. Mm. I loved it. It's like so in alignment with everything that I teach and preach and talk about. And yeah, it's it. Every mistake blossoms into inspiration. <laughs> it's just, it's nice. just so cool. So that is my something cool this week. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. So anyway, I, this has been so fun to talk to you ladies. I am so grateful that we found a time when all of us could get together. That's a bit of a miracle in and of yes. itself. <laughs> I know. Definitely a miracle to get four people with crazy busy schedules together. It's been really cool to hear yeah. about how, how each of you weaves visual communication in different ways into your lives and how you got into it and, and how you deal with this concept of, uh, of, um, you know, perfectionism and, and the, the <laughs> people thinking that, you know, 
well, you're the one who's the the creative. So I, you know, I'm not creative and all of this stuff that we talked about. I think it's just a fantastic conversation. I can't wait to go back and listen to it when <laughs> I edit it. <laughs> so thank you so much. I'm just delighted that you came and joined me today. Absolutely. Thank you for the invitation, Melissa. And it's been wonderful to sit with with all of you. So thank you. Absolutely. I agree. Thanks for making it happen, Melissa. Thank you. That's it. That's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Kelly, Julie, and Steph. Let me know if you resonated. And thank you so much for joining me today. If you are getting value out of this podcast, share it with a friend. And I would be super appreciative if you would take a moment to hop on over to iTunes and leave a rating and review. If you don't know how to do that, you can always find step-by-step instructions over at creativesandboxway.com slash iTunes dash review. That's creativesandboxway.com slash iTunes hyphen review. And email me to let me know you left a review and let me know how the podcast has made a difference in your own life if you would like to be considered for the listener spotlight. That is how you apply. If I pick you, we'll have a really fun, relaxed conversation and you will get to be featured on the podcast, just like Kelly and Julie and Steph. How cool is that? So that is it. Until next time, have a great week. Thanks again for joining me and go get creating. Creative Sandbox Way. Creative Sandbox Way. Subscribe at creativesandboxway.com slash podcast.